Okay, tonight, let's begin by writing down a few words. Three words I want you to write down. First word is the word time. The second word is worship. And the third word is glorify. Time, worship, and glorify. All right, we're going to look at some corresponding scriptures to these words, or at least... uh, a scripture per word, maybe. I don't know. We'll see how many I want to I want to add because I definitely want to try to finish this tonight. So we'll see. My problem is I can take an introduction and make that an entire sermon. But let's see what we can do, all right? Time, worship, and glorify. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. You're probably very familiar with this passage. I think we're more familiar with it than we know what to do with it. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, let's start in verse 14. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Say amen when you are there. All right. Ephesians 5, 14. Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou thy sleepest, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So we get some kind of uh, commands here. The first one really is to wake up, right? Wake up, all right? Second is to walk circumspectly. Everybody see that? Ephesians 5, right? All right, the first one is to wake up. The second one is to walk circumspectly. What does it mean to walk circumspectly? Carefully, cautiously, right? How does the NIV translate circumspectly in verse uh, 15? Okay, careful how you live, right? Careful, so you're, you're, being, you're being very careful, you're being cautious, you're, you're thinking before you're acting, those kinds of things. So we awake, we walk circumspectly, and then verse 16, three words. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. What does it mean to redeem something? To buy it back, right? So we have this concept of time. Here's this concept of time. How many hours in a day? 24, right? We have 24 hours in a day. And so it's telling us to purposely grab that time, in a sense, buy it back to redeem it, meaning that we're going to use it for what? A different purpose, right? If we're going to redeem it, we're grabbing, like here's time, and we're going to say, no, I'm going to redeem this, and I'm going to use it. And it says, redeem the time. And why should we redeem the time? The days are evil. Now, if that was true at the time Paul was writing the church at Ephesus, I think we can say that is true today, all right? And in fact, I believe, I I mean, you know, at least from our eschatology, things are only going to get worse and not going to get better. Some people may have an argument against that, but so far they haven't been proven right, okay? I think think we can say so far they're they're not doing very good with their eschatology. I think things are going to get worse. So that would mean... If they needed to redeem the time, man, we should be like redeeming the time. But that's such a vague concept, right? You tell everyone, redeem the time. And everybody says, amen. And like, what does that look, what does that look like? I, 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 I don't know what that's supposed to look like, right? Because on one hand, you could go to, very, you could go to an extreme, right? And the extreme would be you do nothing but what? 
evangelize, prayer, read your Bible, study, Bible study, church, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a morning service, an afternoon service, an evening service. I mean, you could just, that's redeeming the time. And people would be like, well, now that's slid into legalism. That's crazy. And then the other side is redeem the time. Amen. I'll go to church whenever I want and just kind of do what you want. And it doesn't really mean anything. There's got to be a, a happy balance somewhere. Nobody, trust me, nobody has got that figured out, have they? Nobody. But, but we are commanded to redeem the time. Agreed? Now, and when we, when we speak of time, the basic measurements of time that we use, and now we can, obviously there's more, but we typically refer to time in, as far as years, months, days, and hours. Right? Years, months. We can put years, months, weeks. All right, that's fine. Years, months, weeks. We can put days, and then we can put hours. Those are all elements of time, and therefore we are to redeem all of that. The year, the months, the weeks, the days, and even the very hours. All right, I think, I think we are familiar with that. Now go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. We'll go to verse 8 for a little bit of context. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night. All right, so now we have these creatures, right? They don't rest. They're up 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And what are they doing? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now, interesting enough, they're awake 24 hours a day and all they're doing is praising God. And then they even refer to God, God in a reference to time, right? A God who is or was, is, and is to come. He is past, he is present, and he is future because this is a reference to his eternality, right? Okay, and then verse 9, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him, the set on the throne who liveth for ever and ever. Uh, the four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne, worshipped him, that liveth for ever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, immediately we can see this, this is obviously worship, right? This is worship, and time is still mentioned here. So we have time, we have worship, and in a sense we have glory a little bit mentioned here, even though it's not specific, because it states why was everything created? For his good pleasure. Meaning that my purpose in life is ultimately his pleasure, his glory, his will. Now, if my purpose in life is his purpose, his pleasure, and his will, then guess what I should be doing with that time? His purpose, his pleasure, and his will. And how much of our time is dedicated to our purpose, our pleasure, and our will? A whole lot of it. 
most of it, okay? Even if we're even remotely honest with ourselves, okay? So you're, you're getting a little bit of an idea. You can go to Psalm, um, we could go to Exodus chapter 20, actually. Exodus chapter 20, we know these words. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we have, I mean, it, we know how this starts, right? And we can start in verse 3. Oh, I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to read verse 1 and 2 and get back to the sermon I just had to review on law and gospel because I, I guess supposedly because verse 2 is a gospel pa- passage, the rest can't be law. I don't even want to get into that sermon. It was a mess. Okay, But verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Meaning what? What should, be then, what should we be doing with our time? To redeem the time would be doing what? God first. We are to be worshiping him. We're to be living for his purpose, his pleasure, his glory. You get the basic kind of concept? All right, go to, um, let's go to Psalm 95. Let's go to Psalm 95. There's a lot of different Psalms we could look at, but let's pick just a random one here. Psalm 95. Psalm 95, starting verse 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with, with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And his hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hill is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, us let, o come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand to do, if you will, uh, today, if you will, hear his voice. Harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Now, if you know anything about the liturgy of the hours, you know that almost every morning starts with, Psalm 95, almost everyone, the first things you're supposed to say is, Lord, open my lips so that my mouth may proclaim your praise. Those are supposed to be the first words you say. And then you pray Psalm 95. That's, that's church history right there. Because today, hear his voice. Today, worship him. Today, put him first. Go to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. I mean, we could take Psalm 95 apart for a long time. Psalm 43, verse 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him, for what? For my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Created for whose glory? God's glory. Well, if I'm created for God's glory, then what should I be doing with my time? Glorifying God. And guess what I should be doing? Not having any other God's before him, my Psalm 95, today, hear his voice, worship him, praise him, no, because of his attributes and because of who he is. And then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Everybody there? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat, drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything we do 
should be dedicated to whose glory? Should be God's glory. Now, if you just take the verses we've just looked at in the last five, five minutes, I think any, anyone who's just like remotely honest with themselves should, we, look, we have to do something. We can all say amen to that, can we? I mean, we all can say amen to those verses, but we all know that we do, I mean, come, do we come close to any of that? We, I mean, give me a break. That is not the way we live our lives. Our lives are not dedicated to his glory and his honor and his purpose. We're not running around trying to redeem the time. We're not trying to make sure we have no other gods before him. We can say all of those words. We can preach those sermons. We can teach those Sunday school lessons. But the reality is we live our life typically for what things? Our purpose, our pleasure, our glory, our, our honor, and if anything even remotely offends us, we get very, 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 very upset. Do, do we not? Because it's about us. Us. It's always about us. Even when we say that it's about someone else, and really sometimes when it's about someone else, it's really about whom? It's about us. So what do we do with all of that? What do we do? I mean, that, 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 that seems to call for a way of living that I don't know any, that anyone has ever truly figured out. Now, in the early church, well, forget the early church. Let's go all the way back to Judaism. Let's go all the way back to Judaism. If you have a Bible, go to Leviticus, I think, chapter 23. Go to Leviticus chapter 23. I believe all of these are in Leviticus 23. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that you'll, well, we can find them all in Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, all right? Now, I'm going to make you do this part. Leviticus chapter 23. Say amen when you find it. All right, Leviticus 23. I want you to go through Leviticus 23, and I want you to find, identify, make sure you have the passage down, all the special feast days, holy days, that are listed in Leviticus chapter 23. How many are there and what are there? What's the first one you come to? Okay. Is the Sabbath first? What verse? All right, Leviticus chapter 23. Let's look at it. Leviticus chapter 23. Does everybody see the Sabbath there? All right. Six days shall you work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and a holy convocation. You shall do new work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord and all your dwellings. Okay, so let's stop right here. All right. Now, remember, we talked about time and the different measurements, right? We talked year, month, weeks, days, and hours. Okay, now this gives us to a specific day of the week. On the Sabbath, what are they to do? Or not do? Like, what, what does the text say? Just, it's open book. Don't do any work. Don't do any work. And what are they remembering? They're remembering creation, right? Everybody with me? Okay, everybody, the Sabbath? Everybody, okay, all right, so, they, so that's a specific day, is it not? Okay, a specific day of a week, that it, and, and they are to do that how frequently? Every single week of every single year. All right, next, what's the next feast or Sabbath mentioned? Or not Sabbath, next feast. Passover, everybody see Leviticus 23, verses 4 through 8? 
All right, these are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim, please note, in their circle. That word seasons, okay, seasons. Now, seasons fit as a part of a measurement of time, which would fall into cycles a year. Like each year has its seasons, okay? Are you, are you following along here? Okay, and then what does it say next? In the 14th day of the first month, at even is the Lord's Passover. So it's the 14th day, specific day of a first month, a specific month. So we have a month, we have a day, and this is all part of seasons. So what do we have so far? Number one, Sabbath. That's weekly. That's a day. It happens every week. He mentions seasons because now he's going to list things that fit seasons. And the first thing that shows up is the Passover, which is when? First month. Is it 15th day? Okay, I thought I... uh, 14th day of the first month. Okay. Okay, all right. And then on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? Okay. All right, So, so let's make sure we have this. So we have the Sabbath. We have the... Passover, and we have the unleavened bread, feast of unleavened bread. Everybody got that? Right? And look at this. On the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Now that takes an entire week of time, right? So we got all these things are involving clearly time, weeks, months, seasons. Okay, what's the next one? First fruits, what verse? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof. Then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. Right? Everybody see that? Okay. All right, next. Okay, which, uh, where is found in which verse? Okay, and you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete, even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall number 50 days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. This is also known as what? The Feast of Weeks, or what, what it's best known as? Feast of Pentecost, right? Because this fits very important on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, is actually going back to this feast. And Okay, we can, we can take all the symbolism. It's absolutely crazy. Okay, but there, look at uh, the next one. I think it's verse 24. Right? Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath and memorial blowing of trumpets, a holy convo- con- a convocation. Everybody see that? All right, next. Look at verse 26 through 32. Day of Atonement. Everybody see that? 23, 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses on the 10th day of the 7th month. All right. And then how about Leviticus 23, 34? The Feast of Tabernacle or sometimes referred to as the Feast of Booths. Right? 23, 34. Okay. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. Do you note all of these have very specific what? Days, times of the week. And they make up the seasons. So for the Jews, 
to redeem the time meant all of these. They had what? Let's, like, what would be a word we would have for this? They would have a calendar. And on this calendar, all the days are days focused on whom? Not them. Their calendar wasn't their birthday, their anniversary, all of the things that we do, right? Remember, for a Satanist, what's the third most important holiday to a Satanist, according to the Satanic Bible? Their birthday. Because in Satanism, who do you worship? Yourself, not Satan. You worship yourself, right? You worship. And and, and look, I'm going to be. Uh, look, to be honest, at least Satanists are honest. I mean, that was the whole thing Anton LaVey said. People go to church pretending they worship God, when in reality they're doing nothing more than worshiping themselves. But they sure want to pretend that they're worshiping God, right? They sure want to pretend. Well, why pretend? Just say I'm going to worship myself. That's a whole lot more honest than pretending, right? So Anton LaVey was like, let's be honest about the thing. But we do. We make it all about us, 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 us. Remember the famous quote? God created man in his image, and man returned the favor. Because we just recreated him into our image, and everyone has God in their image. And you know how we all know that we have God in our image? Because... We always think we're right, right? God, we have a God that always agrees with whom? Us. Isn't that crazy? It, Baptist think God agrees with whom? Them. Methodist thinks God agrees with whom? Them. Church of Christ thinks God agrees with whom? Them. Isn't it amazing we always worship a God that agrees with us? The God that disagrees with us is always the wrong God. The Catholic God can't be the right God because... He disagrees with us. Has anyone ever stopped to realize that that's kind of interesting? Isn't that very convenient that your God thinks you're right? Because we make it all about us. But and trust me, even though the Jews had a calendar that tried to make it about God, they still made it about them because what would they do to their calendar whenever it was convenient? They would just, they would just like, we're not going to do, we're not going to worship. Remember, they would give up the Sabbath. They would just do whatever they wanted, right? The Jews. I mean, did they not stop? I mean, wasn't that the problem in Jeremiah? Wasn't that the, they stopped the, following the Sabbath, right? They stopped their tithes. They stopped everything. Whenever, whenever it became inconvenient. But they would have, I guarantee if you would have talked to them, they still would have believed. God's on their side, isn't, it? isn't that funny, right? I mean, obviously they all thought God was on their side because when Jeremiah came and told them that God wasn't on their side, they all said what? You're wrong, okay? They were like him up, right? So the Pharisees thought God was on their side. In fact, they thought God was so on their side they tried to kill God in the name of God. Okay, that's the most that's the most insane thing to ever to see take place. But I just want you to know that's the way it works. Well, guess what? Nothing has changed in this, at least as far as this is concerned. Those scriptures still remain. We're still supposed to be redeeming the time. We're still supposed to put God before everything. We're still supposed to be glorifying Him. And guess what? As the Jews had a calendar, the early church had a calendar. 
And the early church had a calendar because they were still trying to do what? Fulfill all the things we just talked about. All right? As one quote says, Christ yesterday and today, all time belongs to him and all the ages. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to spend a little time looking at the liturgical calendar. I know we've done this in the past. We're going to do it again. Of course, I'm not referencing any notes that I had in the past because I, I destroy all previous notes. Because why? Why do I destroy previous notes? Because using past notes is just a good way to continue being wrong. Okay, Right? You have to continue to study. Okay, so, so we're going to look at it a di- a get differently. And then for 2024, here's just my own personal feelings of 2024. I believe where the church is currently at in America in 2023, which is so divided, so politically hijacked, and it's an absolute mess, I don't believe 2024 is going to be any better for the modern church. Not only do we have the issues of AI and how that's going to impact Christianity, we've got a political division, and we know what's coming in 2024 a general election that's going to be even more divisive than the previous one, all right? So it's going to be a mess in 2024. And because the church is going to be all over the place and they're going to be caught up in all of this stuff, sometimes a good thing to do is to go back to something that can just be very sure, very consistent, that will be there throughout the entire year. So we're going to, as a church, once again, we did now the last time we followed the liturgical calendar and the lectionary, we found ourselves changing our entire theology, right? So we never know what's going to happen, but we're going to be following the calendar and the lectionary again. So we're going to talk about the history of it and what it all consists of. But we'll go a little bit deeper than we did last time. The last time I gave you the, the elementary version, this one will be maybe junior high, all right? We, we, won't, we won't get too, too in deep, in deep into it because I could... I mean, I have a, I mean, where is it? I have a book here that will give us a, a whole lot of information about it, okay? Uh, do you want me to go through all of that? Okay, I could. No, I couldn't. All right, all right here we go. So, so we're going to go through this as, as, uh, as fast as we can, all right? So you can already see the, the origins of it. The origins of it goes back to Leviticus, goes back to Judaism. So I can't stand when ignorant Protestants say, that's Catholic. Just, just stop talking. I mean, as soon as someone says that, I know they have no conception of history. They, they don't know their Bible. They don't know, I don't know what they're even talking about. I, just like, at this point, I just want to just say, I'm just leaving. I'm just, I, because there's no point in having a conversation. Now, depends on how they say it, right? And say, well, isn't that Catholic? Well, then that shows maybe a little bit of, teachability if they're i don't care about that catholic stuff then you're just like okay whatever because they don't want to listen they've already made up their mind but anyone can just see they had a calendar and it's in leviticus 23 ladies and gentlemen okay and it goes throughout the entire bible and the early church adopted the same thing and guess what the church tried to measure are you ready year seasons months days and Hours. That's what this book is about. This is about hours. Okay. Isn't that Catholic? No. Even if you see it in the New Testament, because at specific hours of prayer, because they were following another Jewish concept. Okay. So that, that the early church just adopted this. And, and most people, uh, and then when did everything change? 
Protestant Reformation, right? Now, Lutherans and some of the Reformers still maintained some of it. They kept a lot of it. But once people broke away from Luther, and the further they got away from Luther, then what started happening? Anything that even, I think that kind of smells Catholic. Burn it! Right? Right? Like, like when, in the beginnings of the United States of America, you go up to Boston and some of those areas. Christmas was banned. It was illegal. Why? Christmas. Not here. We're not Catholics. Right? That's why you give Kate, she's like, oh, I love Christmas. I love I'm like, you live in the place where it was outlawed. Okay, Come on, give me a break. Okay, all right, but yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, not now. But you get the point. Uh, and so, and look, I, you can understand some of the reasons why they did that. All right, just re- let's always remember this. Always re- Sometimes when we talk about church history, people get very upset when I do this. When I speak negatively of something that, wait, they're on our side. People get mad at me, but you don't study church history to find your side. You study church history to find what happened. You should never study American history to be pro-America. You study history to look at what happened. And guess what? I don't care what history you study of what country or what event. It's not always going to be pretty. It's never, right. Well, I'm just trying to be nice, but you're right. Anyone who studies history knows it's never going to be. It's ugly because it's a story. History is a story of whom? Humans, and according to our theology, they're all depraved. And depravity, history is the record of man's depravity in actions. All right? So, so whenever we go back into history, sometimes we can see depraved people doing something for the right reason, but there are sometimes very unintended consequences that flow from it, and sometimes those unintended consequences is because of man's depravity. So Luther may have had every good motive for what he did, but because of once he basically threw out, called into question the church, well, then the rest of men's depravity stepped in and said, oh, that's it! Break into Catholic churches, beat the priests, tear down their statues, burn the buildings. Yeah! And you're like, uh, what are you doing? What happened? Yeah, I mean, like all of a sudden now, kill our enemies, right? Because once again, that happens. That happens over and over and over. But you can see, so some people were like, we got to get as far away from Catholicism as possible. I can understand. But in some cases, the motive may have been right, but there was foolishness in what they did because it didn't turn into what? The wild, wild west of theology where every man does what is right in his own eyes. And then, we, and then as we are condemning a tradition, we're making our own. And it's like, how do you not see that? Oh, the Catholics and their stupid traditions. Look around, buddy. You got your own, okay? All right, so... Are you ready? Let's go quick. All right, that's way too much time for, we got to move fast. All right, here we go. All right. Um, here's according to one source, all right. Ho, uh, and I think this comes from the Catholic Catechism, but I don't have the paragraph down, so I'm not going to quote it as the Catholic Catechism, but it just, just sounds like the Catholic Catechism. I just didn't put the paragraph down. So, all right, I can probably find this in a couple of minutes with the Catholic Catechism, but I won't look for right now. Ho, the Holy Church 
Now, it says a holy church. That almost sounds Catholic. Now, I would, I almost pause. This must be a paraphrase because I guarantee you the catechism says holy mother church. I guarantee you it does. But all right. Holy church celebrates the saving work of Christ on prescribed days in the course of the year with sacred remembrance. Each week on the day called the Lord's Day, she commemorates the resurrection of the Lord, which she also celebrates once a year in the great Paschal Solemnity together with his blessed passion. In fact, throughout the course of the year, the church unfolds the mystery of Christ and observes the birthdays of the saints. So there it has it. Throughout the year, what do they attempt to do? Unfold the mystery of Christ through an entire year. So the entire year is dedicated to unfolding the mystery of Christ. So they are trying to redeem the entire year. And then, this is very important, Because according to the liturgical calendar, there are two parts to the liturgical calendar. And a lot of people don't understand this. So I'm going to hand, I I don't know what happened to all of our lectionaries because they're like all gone. Okay. But there's a couple here. Okay, good. Okay, good. We used to have one like in every pew and I don't know what happened. They all walked away. All right. So um, that happens. Okay. But. If you'll turn to page 16, right there at the beginning. Hang on, not page 16. Give me, I'm sorry. Page 2. Page 2. The content section. The content section. You'll notice something. All right. Everybody there? Okay. You'll see at the very beginning, you got the, dec- uh, the decree of the sacred congregation of divine worship. You got the forward, you got the introduction, you got table one, table two, and table three. Everybody see that? Right underneath table three, what do you have in bold? All caps. Proper of seasons. The liturgical calendar has two parts. Part one is the proper of seasons. Everybody see that? Now, looking at that page, what's the second part? Proper of the saints. Those are the two parts. The proper of seasons and the proper of the saints. There's two parts. Meaning that, as that paragraph alluded to, on one hand, they spend the entire year unfolding the mystery of of Christ. That is the proper of seasons. And then they also celebrate the birthday of the saints. That is the proper of the Saints, those are the two parts. Does everybody see that? Aren't you, are you, see, are you, are you like, whoa, how did you figure that out, right? And if you'll note, the proper of the saints start in January. And look what you see. The octave of Christmas, the solemnity of Mary, right? Then guess what you have on the, on this, and you see the numbers. Those are the days of the month. Right? So the 31st of January, who's, who's celebrated? John Bosco. Oh, on the 28th, Thomas Aquinas. All right? So you're going to unfold the mystery of Christ, and who, what else are you going to do? Remember people of the past. Now, you may not like the fact they reference them as saints, but if you are honest, according to our theology, every Christian is a saint. So therefore, you can call them 
saints, okay? Does everybody understand that? Right. We may not like the process they have to go through before they declare someone to be a saint and the theological implication. But you, so uh, to make sure we understand, the liturgical calendar has how many parts? Two parts. You should know these two parts. And, well, I mean, I, that, I, everyone had a lectionary, so everyone should already know this. But if you did not, there, there you go, all right? I'll read a little bit more about uh, the, the calendar. When we think about a year, we often think of it in terms of its seasons, Each season has its particular fill, its own customs and activities. Now, please note, even think, now, this breaks down the calendar into two parts, right? Okay, now, I want you to think of the concept of a season. Forget Christianity, forget religion. Just in normal life, do we not understand time uh, as seasons? Right, okay? And we reference those seasons in what terms? Fall, winter, spring, summer, right? And don't they all have certain symbols and things that go along with them? Certain foods, certain activities, okay? All kinds of things are associated with it, okay? So that's just true in human existence. Everybody understand that? That's true in human existence. But it is also true within the historical church, all right? Here we go. We adapt or change according to the season. We wear different clothes, play different sports, eat different foods. We even associate colors with different seasons, do we not? Our life journey, too, can be viewed using the image of seasons. We experience seasons in the physical, social, emotional, and spiritual aspects of our life. Now, we are very familiar with how seasons impact us physically, correct? Yes, we understand how they may impact us socially because during you do different things, you go to different activities. All right? We may even understand how they can impact us emotionally. Seasons can have profound impact on emotions because weather changes, there's a lot of change, time changes. Like all, There's emotional aspects. Guess what we tend to sometimes forget? We don't view the seasons from a spiritual standpoint in many cases. Because our calendars are driven by what? Self. The early church said the calendar should be driven by God. There's the difference. So, so they are saying we have to redeem it so that our spiritual aspects show up in the calendar. A calendar year incorporates the seasons in 12 months or 52 weeks, which includes holidays, commemorative days, and days that we could term as ordinary. The liturgical year is similar in, its, in the way it is organized. It provides a particular occasions on whole seasons to ritualize the significant movements in our Christian life. It is through this cyclical process that the church renews itself again and again. And the liturgical year, every season or feast day has its own unique symbol and color, which help us to explore and be involved in the mystery of the incarnation, birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? So everybody understands that even within the church, the whole, remember, there's two things going on. The proper of seasons. And what are they doing in the proper of seasons? Unfolding the mystery of Christ. That is done through various ways. But it is symbolized even in the color, in a liturgical church, even in the colors of the vestments, of the way the sanctuary. Everything is symbolizing and it's unfolding this mystery. 
It's, it's right there in front of everyone's eyes. They just pay attention. And then what else is going on? The proper of the saints, because they're remembering people of the past. Everybody got that? All right. Now, um, I'm just going to, now, some of this I'm going to say, and then I'm going to repeat it. All right. So is that okay? All right. Because, some, because I want you to just hear it in different ways. All right. Here we go. All right. The, the, the liturgical year begins with what? What does the liturgical year begin with? Okay, good. <laughs> We're worrying me. Okay. Like the first Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday of Advent is what? The new year. Happy New Year. Okay. This year it's December the 3rd. Right? That's the first Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday of Advent begins the liturgical year. So everybody understands how that works? Right? The liturgical year begins with what? First Sunday of Advent. Then we move to Christmas. Is Christmas a day? It's a season. We'll talk about it more in detail in a minute, right? Ordinary time. Ordinary time. Lent. Here's a word you probably don't know. You may want to write it down. T-R-I-D-U-U-M. Tritium. T-R-I-D-U-U-M. How many have the internet available on their phone? Look up tritium on Google and tell me what tritium is. Okay, well, sometimes it references Easter season. Yes, this is a part of Easter season. Okay. Tritum, okay. Okay, three, it's, it's sometimes referred to as tritum or three days. Sometimes it's referenced as three days. Then Easter, Pentecost, Ordinary time again, finishing with, and how does the year end? It, it, the, the year begins with the first Sunday of Advent, and it ends with? No. Not the year, it does end with that. Christ the King Sunday. Christ the King Sunday is how the year ends. Guess what next Sunday is? Christ the King Sunday. So we are about to hit the end of the year. And you end the year remembering that Christ is King. Okay? And throughout the entire year, what do you do? Uh, unfold the mystery. I want to make sure we ever use that language. Unfold the mystery of Christ. And you do so every year. That's the proper of the seasons. Everybody got all of that down? The liturgical seasons provide us with a way of looking at the same mystery from different aspects in order to learn something new each time we experience them. Year after year, it invites to deepen our relationship with Jesus. So the church said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to redeem the time. So whenever you come to church, all you have to do is come to church in a year, and guess what? You live out year after year. You live out the entire mystery of Christ unfolded before your eyes and everything the church does. And all you got to do is just, I don't know, have a brain and guess what? It all's right there because they they do everything in their power to put it right before you. It's everywhere. They say it's literally everywhere. And and if you you follow the liturgy, it's literally everywhere. It's, It's just, I mean, it's like, it's, it's a seminary lesson in every liturgy. I mean, like, it's all right there, just handed to you. It's this beautiful thing that, well, 
Protestants are like, yeah, we don't need that. We're going to have a church potluck and a picnic and a small group. Because the early church didn't know what they were doing. Now, all we did is replace their seasons with our own, their traditions with our own. And even though we say we're not liturgical, we just replaced it with our own liturgy. Now, the problem is, if you try to go back and grab some of that liturgy, you almost instantaneously be accused of being a Catholic. So it's really a no-win situation, but okay. All right. Now, what's key, what's key to the calendar is the lectionary. Now, what is a lectionary? Simple terms. A list of readings. All right, a list of readings. The scriptures take us through the liturgical year on a three-year cycle. Now, that three-year cycle is for which readings? The three-year cycle is for which readings? Sundays. The Sunday readings are a three-year cycle. Year A, year B, and year C, right? In fact, go to page, go to page 17. The proper of the seasons. First Sunday of Advent. Does everybody see that first Sunday of Advent? What do you see there in a little black box? A, go to page 18. First Sunday of Advent. B, and then go to the page uh, 19. First Sunday of Advent. That's because it's a three-year cycle. Guess when it became a three-year cycle? Vatican II, okay, 69, I think is when they finally, I think that's when it is, right? So they always had the liturgy, they broke it down into a three-year cycle, I believe, at uh, the Vatican II, if I remember correctly. I'm going with memory there, but I'm pretty, I'm about 99.9% sure that I'm right, okay, all right? Probably to just add more, to break down the readings, maybe into smaller portions, to give you uh, more variety so you're not hearing the same scriptures year after year. Probably just a lot of different things. Trying to accompany more, just a lot, probably a lot of different reasons. Basically, probably for the spiritual benefit and edification of everyone, right? Because guess what? I mean, most people, now, some people, let's just be very clear, let's be very honest. A lot of people don't pay any attention. They go to a church with a liturgy and, oh, I lose my mind here. They pay no actual attention to the liturgical readings. I, I, I don't understand why. I, look, I don't understand it. I know as soon as I became a Lutheran, I'm like, where do the readings come from? That's my first question. And then they handed me a book and I'm like, oh, this is the readings for the whole year. Well, then I know what I'm doing tonight. I'm reading them all, right? And then guess what I would do the week preceding church? I would study the readings, right? So then I've done all my study, and then I show up to church to hear a sermon on the very reading that I've had access to, right? Remember when we did this before? That was my whole goal, right? Hey, everyone, here's the lectionary. Just read the readings all week. That's all you got to do. You only have how many readings? Well, technically three, but the psalm counts, doesn't technically count as a reading, right? But okay, Uh, that's usually three readings, but we count the psalm. So technically four readings. And so what was my goal when we started, when I did this the last time? Remember what I even told everyone, buy a notebook. And I said, all you have to even do in a notebook is just simply write down 
I read it. I was like, please. I begged everyone, please, please. All you're going to do is just keep the lectionary open all week and just look at it. Just look at it. Because by Sunday, everyone should, I should be able to walk in and go, all right, today's readings are, and everybody should be able to say what the readings are. Because every, I mean, like, that's not hard to do. How successful do you think I was at that? <laughs> yeah, not successful. Not very successful. Not very successful. But, but so, so, and once again, this, what does this demonstrate? That the church can create all the systems in the world, but the people are going to do what they want to do, which uh, you, can, you can say what you want. But the scriptures take us through the liturgical year and a three-year cycle. The church designates, reading, designates readings to be used for each day of the three-year cycle. We have liturgical years A, B, and C. We look at Jesus and our own lives through the gospel. So here's how it works. Cycle A, the gospel reading is Matthew. Cycle B, the gospel reading is Mark. Cycle C, the gospel reading is Luke. And then the gospel of John is included throughout all the three-year cycles. Does everybody understand how that works? 2024 is year B in the Sunday liturgical cycle. Now, there's also another cycle. That's the weekly reading, or that's the Sunday readings. There's also what else? The weekday readings. Jump to uh, page 281. Now, the weekday readings, everybody see that? The proper of seasons weekday readings. They are broken into a two-year cycle. A two-year cycle. Now, what I told us to do last time is I told everyone to ignore the weekday readings. You know why I told everyone to ignore the weekday readings? Because I knew there was no way people would do the weekday readings. So I thought at least I could get everyone to do Oh, an entire week for three readings? I thought everyone could pull that off, right? So, but the, now why do they have a weekend and a weekday readings? Why do they have both? Yeah, Sunday readings, yeah. Why do they have the Sunday readings and then the weekday readings? The Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday readings. Why do they have both? Because they have church every day of the week. They have, yeah, Mass, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So therefore, they need readings for every day, right? So if anything's going to happen, uh, no, no, the weekdays are two-year cycle. The weekend's a three-year cycle, all right? Everybody got that? Everybody see how that works? Right? 2024 is year B in the Sunday liturgical cycle and year two in the weekday cycle. So you just need to know that which, which reading you are for that particular cycle. All right. Does that make sense? Everybody got that? Okay. All right. Uh, the liturgical year is one way that we can interpret the scriptures, enabling us to integrate our life experiences with the life of Jesus is how we express our identity as Christians. So the liturgical year is important to all of this. All right. Now, um, because we're running out of time. Oh, man. Yeah, we're definitely running out of time. All right. So I'm just going to go through the six major seasons. We've brief, briefly mentioned them. I'm going to go through them quickly of the liturgical year. All right. 
You know the proper of the seasons and the proper of the saints. The proper of saints is sometimes referenced another way in Latin, but I'm not going to get into that because we're running out of time, all right? So you ready for the, litur- the liturgical year is made of basically six major seasons. You ready? Everybody should know the first one. Advent. How long is it? Four weeks. Four weeks. Four weeks. It used to be longer. Used to be longer, but four weeks, all right? And that's preparing ourselves for what? Well, the first advent and the second advent. Remember, the readings cover both advents, all right? So the first and second. Then we have Christmas, right? And this is recalling the nativity of Jesus Christ and his manifestation to the people of the world. And Christmas, I can't remember how exactly long. Is it 12 days? I think it's 12 days, right? Okay, I believe so. All right, that's where the 12 days of Christmas comes from. Okay, all right, so we have Christmas. Then we have Lent, which is a six-week period of penance before Easter. All right, then we have sometimes what is known as the sacred Paschal Tritum, which is the holiest three days of the church year where the Christian people recall the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. Then we have Easter. How long does Easter last? 50 days, 50 days of joyful celebration of the Lord's resurrection from the dead and the sending forth of the Holy Spirit. And the sending forth of the Holy Spirit is what feast? Pentecost, which is 50 days after. Get it? And then if you go to Leviticus 23, you'll see how that all plays itself out, right? Okay. Then what else do we have? Ordinary time. Ordinary time is divided into two sections. One span of four to eight weeks after Christmas time and another lasting about six months after Easter time. We are currently in ordinary time. We're in ordinary time, okay? Uh, And then each uh, liturgy... Okay, well, we've already covered all of that, so there we go. All right, now we're running out of time. There we go. Now, I don't have time to go any further, but just to mention it, that is the calendar. The calendar is broken into two parts. What are they? Proper of seasons proper of saints. The saints, their, their birth, their times show up all throughout the year, right? At any time. At any time. And so when you know that it's a, uh, it's, when you know it's a saint day, then you have to look up the reading for that particular saint because the reading may be different. Does that make sense? Everybody understand that? Okay. All right. And it's, it's easy to find and you can just like, if you look at the back, like, uh, well, yeah, there's, yeah, there's obviously apps, right? But uh, like here's October 1, and then here's the readings for that day because it's uh, Teresa of the child Jesus. So it's a celebration of her. Here's Jerome, priest and doctor, September 30th. Here's the reading. And sometimes you're, all you're doing is replacing one reading. Like In other words, the proper of the seasons may give you the gospel may be the same, but the first reading may be different. Or the first reading may be the same, but the gospel may be different. So that's, that's how you do it, all right? So... And what's the purpose of this? To unfold the mystery of Christ in an entire year. All through, and then you have the lectionary, which follows the the calendar, right? And the readings associate with the seasons and the times and the themes, and so that it all unfolds. Now, that gets you year, season, month, weeks, and days. Now, we don't have time to get into it, but what does the church have to go to the hours, the liturgy of the hours, the liturgy of the hours, which is four volumes. And the liturgy of the hours breaks the day down into morning prayer, 
right? Afternoon prayer, evening prayer, and night prayer. Used to be seven times, but they've broken it down into four major times because uh, afternoon prayer is broken into afternoon, early afternoon, mid-afternoon, late afternoon. It's got different times depending on when you're going to, to pray it. You don't have to pray all of it. And then you have the office of readings. And all of that starts, like your day starts with the invitatory where you're basically saying, Lord, open my lips so my mouth may proclaim your praise. That's supposed to be the first word you even say before you say anything else. Then you usually pray Psalm 95. Then you go to morning prayer. Then after morning prayer, somewhere midday, you get your midday prayer. Then you've got your evening prayer around 6 or 7. Then you've got your late night prayer, which is 10, 11, around midnight, right? Office of the readings can fit in anywhere during that time. That's to take care of your entire day. And guess what you do every four weeks by doing the liturgy of the hours? Every four weeks, you have prayed all 150 psalms. Every four weeks. Every four weeks. Every four weeks. Every four weeks. All 150 psalms. Well, it's not, re- it's not readings, it's prayer, but yeah. I mean, it's scripture, but yeah. We would call them readings. There is reading mixed in, but the reading is in, uh, in the liturgy hour is always small. It's like one verse or barely a phrase. The, the other part, you're just praying the Psalms. You're praying the Psalms. You're praying the Psalms. So that's the hours. So the church starts basically from the year. They cover the months. They cover the weeks. They cover the days. They cover the very hours because according to the way they think, your entire life is supposed to be so, uh, 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 about whom? God and not you. Now, that's a, that, isn't that awesome that the church did that? It is awesome. <laughs> the sad part is... Not, not even close. Not even close. Let's just be... No. Okay. No, 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 almost nobody. In fact... Well, I mean, there are a lot of Catholics who participate in it. There are. But compared to how many Catholics there are in the world, the number would be so small. Because the reality is it's hard to do that. Now, the problem is you can see where this can turn into, right? It can turn into what? Legalism. Right? Now, Catholics may say you got to do this and do this in order to get it. Protestants are no different. We just say you have to do it in order to prove that you are, meaning you have to do it in order to be. So I don't know why we make such a big deal about that. In fact, you would think, especially those in the lordship world, you think they would be all over this stuff. You must do this because they say, what's one of the proofs that you're a Christian? You love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Well, how else better to love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul than your entire calendar is dedicated to whom? But hey, if they get a 15-minute devotional and they, they say, oh, look at me, I love God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. Like, it's such a joke, right? Such a joke. At least in this system, there's a little bit more honesty because you know you're going to die and go to purgatory. So at least there's a little bit more honesty with the situation, right? But it's there. So what we're going to do this year is we're going to follow the weekly, not, not the weekday, the weekly readings for church, Right? That doesn't mean every service will be on the readings, but at least one, right? Sometimes it may be, we'll use both. Just at least once a week on Sunday, we're going to be doing the readings. And we'll be following the seasons, knowing what the seasons are about. And we'll try to make that 
fit that in. Of course, uh, depending on what, how I do the podcast in 2024, it will, it will show up there. Um, I may do the weekday readings on the podcast, maybe. Or I just may dedicate one week to the entire uh, weekend readings because sometimes you can spend all... I mean, look for any weekend reading. Look at today's readings. My goodness, we could have spent... We could have spent a month on today's reading. Just the Proverbs one took us two hours, right? We didn't even get to the epistle reading in Thessalonians. And we definitely did not even get to the gospel reading with that parable. That would have taken forever. So, um, in other words, it's right there. But at least, now, what you do with it, that's up to you. I, I'm not even, I don't, I'm not even going to try or, or care. But I, all I can say is, if you will just, on, on a Monday, open up the lectionary readings and just have them open, and just have a Bible laying somewhere in the house, and then whenever, you're, whenever you have a chance to walk by, you can just stop for a second and go, Okay, that's the first reading of the day, okay? And the next time you walk by going, oh, okay, there's the gospel reading. And just all you got to do is just look at it. If you just look at it once a day, by Sunday, what will be hopefully the end result of looking at it every day? Familiarity with it. And when there's familiarity with it, then guess what? Even if, even if it, you haven't done anything with it, it still does what? You retain it. You, you, you do something with it, all right? And then, of course, Advent is showing up. And, of course, you know, the Advent wreath. I know, you know, I, I, some people follow the Advent wreath. Some people don't. It's always a good thing to have because then you've got the, cal- the candles, which represent the four weeks of Advent, right? And with the Advent wreath, you can, do it, you can do a simple thing. You can take the Sunday readings and then, you know, each evening, whatever, you light the candle of the wreath and you read, just do the Sunday readings. You don't even have to do the weekday readings. And you just do the same weekday readings that entire week. By the end of the week, you're going to know the week, that, that, weekend, that weekend reading, right? Okay? I keep saying weekday. The weekend readings. And then that's, a, that's, that's, that's just repetition. And you don't have to make it a big deal. Like I'm not saying you have to do the weekday readings. Because that, as soon as you start giving things. Well, now when I was young, I would be like, do everything! <laughs> okay? Because I, I believed in lordship. And if I believed in lordship, what should be my expectation to anyone who called to be a Christian? Do it. What's your problem? Are you not saved? Right? And then you start realizing. Remember how I always, how I, I, told, I, I told you how it worked for lordship, right? For, then I started thinking, nobody's saved. And then you start thinking, man, what's the problem with the church? I got to fix, everyone in the church is messed up. And then one day you look in the mirror and you realize, I don't know if I'm any better than them. So then you go, well, then, then you have to decide, then Christianity is broken and Christianity is not true. So then you're that, that close from becoming an atheist, or at least in my, in my case, I felt like I was about that close from becoming an atheist. And then I realized maybe the lordship thing is the problem. <laughs> maybe that's the problem because either lordship is true and nobody is saved or lordship is false and we're saved by grace, by grace alone. Okay, or Catholics are right, and then they're, at least their system accounts. Okay, at least, at least if Catholics are right, at least they have a system to account for the fact that nobody does it right, right? It's called mortal and venial sin, penance, confession, indulgences, and purgatory, right? At least they have a system, right? Okay, I, look, I'm going to give them credit for that, okay? Because at least they admit, well, nobody's pulling this thing off. Nobody's pulling this off. So that's, that's better than the Protestant system, which pretends everyone's pulling it off, correct? 
So that's what we're going to be doing in 2024. You want to follow the readings? Great. Yes, there's apps out there. There's a million resources on the internet you can find. Um, but there, there you go. And so we'll be looking at it. So December 3rd is the first Sunday of Advent. If you're looking at the lectionary, if you go to the, uh, just we'll, we'll end with this. If you go to the uh, proper of the seasons, and what year are we going to be on for 2024? Okay, we're going to be year B, right? Is that what I said? I don't even remember what I said at this point, okay? All right. Um, I don't even know where I put it in my notes. Okay, hang on, give me a second here. I can find it really quick. Uh, we're, 2024 is year B in the Sunday cycle, all right? So if you go to uh, page, what is it, 18? There it is. There's B. First Sunday of Advent. The first reading is from what book? Isaiah. The psalm is from Psalm 80, and the, uh, the uh, second reading, please note, you see how the, the psalm is not called a reading? Everybody see that? All right, so to be technical, there's three readings. I know sometimes I'll reference four, but all right, so there's the responsorial, the responsorial sermon or psalm. Then the second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then the gospel is Mark chapter 13. And please note how the second advent shows up. How does the gospel begin? Jesus said to his disciples, be constantly on the watch. Stay awake. You do not know when the appointed time will come. Right? If, you're, if you're going to apply that to anything, you're either going to apply that to 70 AD or the second coming. All right, But that's not about the first coming. So on the first Sunday of Advent, typically the focus is on the second coming. Typically. Typically. All right. There you go. And so all I would say, if you want to follow along this year, just have it open. And it's just that whole week, just do what? Just walk by and look. Take about five seconds, read it. Okay, walk away. I don't even care if you study it. I don't care if you even take a note. Just look at, okay. The next day, okay. And then by Sunday, when you walk in, the first reading is, everybody should know Isaiah 63. The second reading is, First Corinthians, a third reading, well, if we do the readings, third reading would be, okay, everybody, everybody should have it and, and know, and I got it down. Does that make sense? So if you want to do that, if you don't, that's fine. Either way, that's where the messages are going to be coming from. At least, and like I said, who knows? There may be a Sunday where all we're going to focus on is on one reading. Last time, I tried to put all the readings together, right? That's fun. That's to me is a hermeneutical puzzle, like, why did they pick that to go with that? Like, what is going on? That's the fun part of doing it, right? But I may, I may not always do that. I may just grab one and not look at the rest. But sometimes it's too hard to resist because you're like, like this morning, like what? Why do they have Proverbs 31 there? Like, what is that? What, what is Proverbs 31 doing there? It makes no sense. And then you kind of look at it and you're like, oh, because they're not looking at that as so much as a rule for a woman. They're looking at that as, that's an example of wisdom and prudence and right. So now, okay, now you can kind of you can kind of look at how what they're doing with it. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it. Let's just be honest. Sometimes, it, sometimes I'm like, I don't know what they were drinking on that day. They got too much into the communion wine because somebody was losing their minds there. I don't know what was going on. And what we have to do is to ensure that you don't connect things when there is no connection. It's okay to say. I don't see a connection. It's okay to say that, right? It's okay. 
or because it's better than forcing it. Right? But there we go. That's the, that's the liturgical calendar, and the liturgical calendar comes from Judaism. And the lectionary comes from Judaism. Remember when Jesus went into the synagogue? There was an assigned reading for that day. Uh, the apocryphal, uh, it's not a lot. I mean, it, like, the, like the end of ordinary time this year, uh, there was a lot of, uh, uh, from the Book of Wisdom. It's been like, that's just the first reading. Never all the readings are the apocryphal. Never, never. Typically, if you're going to get an apocryphal reading, it's almost always going to be the first reading. Always. Um, and because the gospel reading is always going to be the gospel. So you always know that the gospel reading will be the gospel. So it's, it's usually the first reading that will be apocryphal. That's, uh, yeah, well, technically, yeah, they're Old Testament, right. So I typically, if I do read the apocryphal part, I just look at it more for, like what I typically do is may stop and, not even focus so much on the reading and just go remind myself of like the background of that apocryphal book. Okay, when was it written? What was it for? And then sometimes you're like, okay, so this was trying to tell the story of the Maccabean revolt or whatever the case may be. And then try to read it and just more from the historical perspective and not really connect it. Sometimes I'll see the connect. Sometimes you'll just see like, well, obviously why they picked this. I mean, it just it screams like, obviously why? And then sometimes you're kind of like, oh, I don't really know what's going on there. And so, but but I, it, it typically thematically fits together to some level, to some level. It fits together in some way. And it, it is an interesting time. I'll end with, uh, the, uh, in, I don't know what year it started. It may have started... It may have started during the pandemic, but a Catholic priest started a podcast called Bible in a Year. And it's the number one podcast, religious podcast now in the world. Millions of people. Uh, he reads and then does some basic teaching on it. And, he's going to, and every year he goes through the entire Bible. Right? And so now, uh, like... Even non-Catholics are listening to it, and now he, uh, it's going to be on lots of radio stations around the country. They're going to expand it. They have their own Bible now called the Ascension Bible that follows along with the podcast. It's turned into a, this huge thing. But it's just interesting that the, the, the number one podcast dedicated to the Bible is actually coming from the Catholic Church, which is kind of an interesting development. And in, uh, I, I don't know what you want to make out of that, but yeah, it's called a Bible in a Year, and it's... Uh, I remember seeing the podcast come, go, working its way up the charts, going, what is going on here? And then I clicked on it and was like, whoa, this is Catholic. What, what's going on? What's going on? And it's like, Catholics are doing better than the Protestants when it comes to the Bible in a year. Like, how does that happen? I don't know. It's a weird development. I don't know what, I don't know what to make out of it. I don't know what to do with it, but it's just the reality. And uh, it's been number one now for a, a long time. And uh, it just keeps building and growing and growing and growing. And some of the comments there now are, you know, well, I'm not a Catholic, but this is one of the best programs I've ever heard. So, yeah, that's a pretty, it's just an interesting development. You wouldn't, because typically Protestants say, what about Catholic? They don't know their Bible. They don't read their Bible because they read their Bible. They wouldn't be Catholic. Right. Yeah, because, you know, yeah, whatever. And, and if I read my Bible, I would be like you too, right? Because, yeah, all right, whatever. Bottom line is, a lot of people read their Bible and don't believe the same thing. I know it's a shock to Protestants, but it's true. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Lord, we know that as individuals, 
We have failed time and time again to redeem the time. We have failed time and time again to, to seek to glorify you in all we do. And we definitely forget, fail and forget that our life is supposed to be about you and not about ourselves. Lord, as we get ready to approach a new year, the same struggles will still be there. The same failures will still be there. The same weaknesses will be there. But I pray that we'll do something in 2024, as I feel the world will just spiral further and further out of control, that we have something to grab onto to give us some focus on a calendar focused on you and your son and the unfolding mystery of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and that in focusing on that, it will give us stability and a very unstable time. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. And God's people said,